Christopher, I see what you did there. I did. I caught that. I'm trying to sneak that past. I drank one of those Celsius energy drinks that our today's guest turned me onto. And like, <clears throat> I've seen her posting about the late nights at the office and the Celsius drinks. And I'm like, oh, geez, I'm not much of an energy drink guy, but you know, they work. Oh, I've been on a roll this morning. Oh. What is it that gives them all caffeinated? It's like green, it's like green tea extract or something like that. Yeah. You know, it's like yeah. the equivalent of a cup of coffee. But anyway, oh, I digress. Do we, this, do we have a fridge of those? Is that what's in there? Oh, yeah, bro. Oh, geez. You know what? I keep drinking those like they're just... Um, Don't drink them afternoon, man. Like get a refresher in. And I think that I've been inadvertently spiking my caffeine levels <laughs> thinking that they're just a good old fashioned replacement for the LaCroix. Oh, no, no, no. Okay. Oh, no. Careful, bro. <laughs> careful. It. Okay. That explains a few things. So I won't go into detail. We, we, we either got off track and, <laughs> and are really annoying all of you listening right now, or uh, you're going to go out and buy some Celsius at the... <laughs> Wawa or Seven Eleven later sponsored. Yeah, all right. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Celsius. Hit us up. We'll uh, we'll bring you on as a sponsor. We'll, we'll, we'll make it worth. Just send us free free stuff. We have a great guest today. We do. And this is actually. actually yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Now, now you're about to say the exact same thing. <laughs> We've been wanting to have a conversation with Trish for a long time, and so it's worth it's worth kind of unpacking. Trish Wall a bit in terms of her background and and who she is. So anybody's paying attention knows we have a kind of a group of surf bros that we've been working with. And it's just so funny for you and I, right? Because we used to sell so hard against surf bros. Oh yeah. Back in our independent days, you know. Yeah, but man, we've discovered so many cool people within the surf pro system. It's really fun. And Trish is certainly one of those people. Trish and her husband Jim run Team Wall, which is a top 50, I mean, for all I know right now, top 15. Surf Pro operator. They've got what 14 or 15 licenses in the Northeast. Yeah. But I think what's what's probably most dramatic is they've been in a huge growth curve the last three years. I think so 2019 is when they really started to put the afterburners on. I think so. Three, four years tops. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy growth. And now, you know, I think when they started, they started with a couple helpers, right? Trish and Jim were working in the business and grinding away. Well, today, 14 years later, they have 160 employees. Well, one of the biggest, frankly, restoration operations, period. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, yeah. it has to put them in the top 5% or I don't know. But yeah. anyway, this is a really fun conversation because we, we spend a lot of our time really talking about the head games of a leader. How do we think about ourselves, our work? How do we, how do we work with our downline in a productive way? How does our stuff sometimes intermingle with all that? Oh, yeah. I mean, this is a topic that you and I love to talk about. It's just hearing a restorer, like a current operator that's in the mix, man. They're like neck deep. Oh, yeah. Just neck deep in massive growth. Just to hear somebody really reflect honestly on what's that like? What's that feel like? What is it like to have a family? They have have youngish children. I don't know how she does it. I just think I'm a big believer. There are some people that just have much higher capacity. And she's one of those people. They, they both run. And their sacrifices. Lane, yeah. Yeah, their sacrifices that they're making to become a real live grown up company, right. which is what she's. I she love how she it. said yeah. that, you know? Yeah. That's like one of my hangover notes was we're, what's our goal? Well, our goal is to build a grown up company, which I thought yeah. was pretty awesome. That was fun. Yeah. It's it was a fun, fun talk. I, you know, I think 
I think there is some heavy elements to it, but I just think it's so raw, it's so real. I think it's it's super entertaining, and I think just about anybody that listens to it is going to be able to put themselves in these shoes. Oh, dude, you know, to some extent, whether it be current or right around the corner or something that you know is on the horizon. So, well, and it can just give you, it can give you. A, I, I think the thing that is so, I don't know, hard sometimes as an entrepreneur is you have this big, hairy, audacious goal out there that someday. Like I was talking to a restorer and someday he wants to be a like a $500 million company. I'm like talking to this dude and that's where he's trying to go. And yet it's pretty rare that you get to talk to somebody who's already done that. Yeah. Oh, oh I mean, she is 500 million, but you, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. They have, they're swinging for the fences, like big time companies. Yeah. And you just don't have a sight picture of what does that look like? What does it feel like to lead a team like that? And, and you get some of those nuggets from her. Yeah. Some of the behind the scenes, just raw, gritty. And I think what's so interesting about it is it feels you and I've never run a company that huge, but it's relatable. Yeah. Like it's familiar. 100%. It's like, okay, the challenges, the things she's thinking about, it's the same kind of stuff, you know, that you and I've wrestled with over the years as we've grown smaller companies, relatively speaking. Yeah. It's just so familiar. I think the problems just get bigger and maybe more weighty versions yeah. of it. Yeah. It's like the characters of it though is the same. The, yeah. the underlying kind of like causation, it's the same. It's That's the same thing. It's kind of like when we talk about big, you know, losses, like more square footage. But the behaviors yeah. tend to be the same. So yeah, yeah, totally. So anyway, that's fun. We we should move on though. All right, let's rock some yeah. sponsors and then let's uh, let's jump in. Yeah, uh, so I'll, started. I'll take Answer Force this time. Right. So AnswerForce.com, not a new name in the restoration business, but it's new to us. You know, it's like funny how many of these things can kind of sneak under the radar when you're not looking for it specifically. But we met them at RIA call reception, call intake agents. I don't well, I don't know what the official term they call themselves, but they're a remote reception company. And I think all of us have maybe worked with call centers over the years. We've tried them. Probably some of you have heard bad things because they aren't as professional. I think that was the first thing we were really blown away by at RIA is just the professionalism. Like they're the real deal. Yep. Like super pro. The, the folks that were manning their trade show, we had, oh my goodness, Mandy. Yep. <laughs> I almost forgot. Yep. Mandy from Answer Force actually came on our podcast live at the RIA and talked to us. But here's, here's this, the high points I want to highlight today is, Call outside third-party call reception like Answer Force isn't just for those of us who are starting out as a Joe in the truck. You know, we're running the business from our house. You need a professional sort of reception presence. It isn't just for that, although certainly they can fill that for you, no problem, and really cost effectively. But I think we also felt like, shoot, this is also for medium and large companies. Oh, yeah. Because what do you do when your receptionist is out on lunch? We normally just forward the phones to whoever and they get whatever you know kind of intake experience. Maybe it works out, maybe it doesn't. But man, do you want to take the risk with your inbound job leads? Yeah. Yeah. I Same mean, with just workflow, right? Like we get yeah. cat events, storm events. We get spikes in incoming call volume. Yeah. Don't want to burn the team out. There's lots of applications. Like, like, seriously, guys, we're talking about hundreds of bucks. It's like what we're talking about. So to pro up your business for a few hundred bucks a month, well, that's kind of a no-brainer. Yeah. That's the no-brainer stuff. You just implement it, move on, yeah. right? And uh, so you definitely should get a, a demo from them and find out how it can fit in with your business and how you can leverage it. But there's tons of use cases like we already mentioned in the in the talk here. So answerforce.com forward slash floodlight. Love it. Love it. Oh, you know what? One thing, just because oh, yeah. it's, it's important, is the uniqueness of the customization. So again, it's like, I think the biggest thing that we were wrestling with before is you kind of get this one size fits all. 
you might really prioritize the onboarding of the client process and then you really feel hesitant and fearful to hand that off to anybody other than your own internal staff. Well, these guys will partner with you to really make that seamless. It's like, mm-hmm. what do you do? Okay, let's build a system that matches that. So yeah. anyways, thought that throw that out there. CNR Magazine, and it's funny, it's like when we say CNR Magazine, well, that's the professional name, but underneath, it's like, to me, it's always just, it's Michelle. <laughs> it's, it's, it's Michelle and her team. That's the friend of the industry, right? Anyways, we love her. You guys know that. You've heard us talk about her very highly. And you guys also see all over LinkedIn, through their e-blast, through their own platforms, through their podcast. I mean, they are all over the place and on all top of all the stories. Just awesome. She just works. Her and her team work tirelessly to make sure that we have updated information in front of us as an industry. And so we we just encourage you to, to be a, a participant, be a subscriber to that, and, and really leverage that resource for you and your team. And then of course, guys, you know how much we beat the drum for Liftify. We actually have something really interesting. So because of our partnership with Zach and, and the team over at Liftify.com is they will often send us reports based on how some of the referred clients that we are partnered with are doing and and how things are happening. And I'm going to give a little shout out to somebody. So one of our friends in the business, let's put it that way, George and Michelle Gutierrez, they run Team Gutierrez at SurfPro. And it's interesting, they were already in a number one seat, which George and Michelle are competitors. So it's fun. Out of more than 800 SurfPro operators. Yeah, they were already outperforming the majority, if not everyone in the franchise from a Google review perspective. We talked about it. They met with Zach. Zach partnered with them and launched the program with them. About 550, if I recall, total reviews. Yeah, it was at like the time. they were approaching like that six range, 600 range, and they're now just under a thousand, if not a thousand, in 10 weeks. In 10 weeks, 48 ish percent, I think, racker increase. All time. Increase in all time Google yeah. reviews, not just year to date. Right. No, no, no. All time, <laughs> there was a 48% increase just in the weeks that they've been part of that program. And also a shout out to George and their team is there also have been a bit of a voice with Zach and their team as they iterate specifically yeah. to make sure the product continues to work well for us. So guys, liftify.com, it's automated Google reviews. I can't say enough to how much of a program shifter this is. It is free organic SEO activity for you. One of the most cost-effective ways to implement I've ever seen. And then the team is consistently iterating to make sure that their product doesn't just work for service companies, but works especially for us as an industry, as disaster restoration contractors. So, okay, enough about them. Liftify.com. Do yourself a favor and just get over there and sign up. Liftify.com forward slash floodlight. Make it happen. All right, dude. Stop in the show. Welcome back to the Head, Heart, and Boots podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Brandon. Join us as we wrestle with what it takes to transform ourselves and the businesses we lead. Man, I love this industry. Well, Trish, thank you so much for joining us. As folks are going to learn here in just a moment, you're not exactly sitting around looking for new things to do to fill your time. And so... (laughs) Nope. So we appreciate that and respect that. Before we get rolling though, I just I think it's so important. Of course, as part of our intro, the team start to get an idea of wow, who is this Trish Wall person? But just give us the rundown, the the you know, the 30, 45 second version of what it is that you are doing. Like who is Trish? What are you guys building, you and your husband? What is it that you do? 
Yeah. So this whole life is, I didn't dream it up. It kind of came to me through my husband. So we both were laid off in 2008-ish in the recession. And Jim always wanted his own business. And he stumbled upon Pro, And so we started with one license in Hunt Valley, Maryland, was undeveloped. And through the years, the last 14 years, we have grown to 15 licenses now between four different metro markets. So most of that growth has happened since 2019. But we are went from one employee, Jim, on the truck, doing all the calls, everything I joined. And now we're up to 160 employees and trying to manage and navigate what that looks like and quickly growing. So... 160 employees. Yes. <laughs> now, did I just hear this correctly that, that it was just you and Jim and you and Jim until 2019 when you guys turned the afterburners on or when? No. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, no. It was just Jim and myself for probably two months. And then we brought a crew chief on. And then by the end of that first year, we had about four people on staff. So I just like... Even the people that work for us have no idea how it began. You know, it was in a 900 square foot warehouse with no AC and no heat and no bathroom. And I just don't think people realize that start with us now, like what that was just 14 years ago. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. So, for those of you that, that haven't seen or had the opportunity to visit the team, we have your team has called us in. We've had the opportunity to do some live stuff with with you and some of the surrounding companies. And it is quite a facility. There is a lot happening. There's a lot of moving parts. You guys are obviously heavily engaged in CAT, large commercial loss, and your team shows it in terms of assets, infrastructure, and all the things. It is a giant machine. There's a lot happening. And I think that that's valuable for the folks listening, not just because we're all... Most of us are operating businesses that may not be that size, right? Because you guys are fairly abnormal in our world. But it's to show people like, hey, this journey is being done by really successful people like you and Jim and the rest of your guys' team. And there, there's this reality of we're not alone in a lot of the pain and the frustration and some of those places in our business where we get high-centered. And I think that's part of Chris and I's excitement is when we can bring somebody like you onto the show who is winning at a high level and yet is willing to share with us that that thing doesn't look like what social media says, mm-hmm. that there's a lot of hard work and, and gut checks that happen a- along the way. And that's one of the things we really appreciate you, Trish, mm-hmm. is that you're willing to do that. Yeah, no problem. I think part of it is I don't... I know that we've been successful and I see that, but I always think... I always recognize all the things we have to work on. So when people are like, oh, you're kicking butt, you're doing awesome. I'm always like, oh my gosh, have you looked under the covers? Like... <laughs> we have so many things to work on. So. That's a really good segue into kind of our starter topic today. I think, like you say, so many people, they look at the outer success and they make a lot of assumptions about what it's like for that person. What They make a lot of assumptions of what's happening in their business and what it looks like based on the external success, right? And I, you sent us an email a couple of weeks ago just kind of sharing some of your your inner thought life right behind the scenes of okay what's what's really going on what am i struggling with and so forth as a leader of a 160 employee enterprise let's dig into that a little bit because this is something this is a topic Brandon and I really care about is this idea as leaders the importance of self-reflection and deeper levels of self-awareness like understanding what's going on in my head what are some of the 
the themes in my thought life that are affecting kind of the way I work, the way I do relationship with others, the way I see myself, all that kind of stuff. So I just love that you brought this and I love that we're going to talk about this because I think it's going to help so many other operators to get in touch and do some of their own self-reflections and, and so forth. So let's talk about this. One of the words that came out for me is, I was reading your email again, was just this, there's a, an instinct or drive for perfection. Even though maybe you don't use that word, subconsciously, there's a drive for making things just so. And, and a part of that too being just a heavy amount of self-criticism when you don't achieve that standard. Can you kind of go into your headspace and what... When you were writing this email to us, just what provoked it maybe and where you've been at kind of in your head as a leader lately? I think it goes back to... I'm not a perfectionist, but I do have perfectionist tendencies. And I haven't always been this way. I really haven't. Like, you know, in high school, I got good grades. I was upper average sports, but I never really drove home hard trying to practice and be the best. And then I I do have a defining moment of when that all changed. I went to college. I had to pay for my own college education. And I remember sitting down in my very first class, Economics 101, and just doing the math of how much money I'm going to be in debt when all of this is over. And if I don't get the best grades possible and the best job possible out of all this, what am I doing? This is like $40,000 at the time. You know, for four years, it's much different now. But... (laughs) But that's kind of where it all changed and where like I I studied my ass off all through college and got fantastic grades and got a great job opportunity off of that. And then that great career experience because of that. And I've just always been that way. And I think I mentioned in my email, even down to even down to just working out, like I love to go to uh, Orange Theory is one of my favorite workouts. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not in the mood. I'm just going to go do what I want. And then I get on there. I'm like, I got to go. I got to beat this person next to me. I got, you know, like I, I just can't bring it down. I always have to go to the next level and try to be the best I can be at all moments. And that's just who I am. And I can see that sometimes bleeding into my team, maybe not in the best way. And it's unfortunate because I'm not expecting perfection out of them. And so when I see something going awry, I want to step in and help and coach. But sometimes I feel like they're seeing that as them not being held to my standards. Mm. And that's not the case. I see it quite differently. I see it as I didn't do something for them that I should have been like that, you know, Jocko Willink extreme ownership, right? (laughs) It's like, it's on me. I didn't do something to support them correctly. So it's just that perception that sometimes I struggle with and I want them to know I have a standard for sure that I need you to hit because sometimes if we're not hitting that standard, there's significant consequences that happen. And so I want to make sure that we're there. But if you're not hitting that standard, I think that's on me that I need to do something for you better so that you can be to where we need to be. And I hope that's not just word vomit put out there, but... (laughs) No, it's great. I I think it's right on point. Here's what I'd kind of like to do because I feel like there's almost two parts to this conversation potentially, right? There's this internal piece, which I don't want to skip over. And then there's this application as a leader, like us thinking about our team members, our staffing, leadership teams, right? Like how does this apply? And I think that a lot of people already have heard what you said and they're like, oh, okay. Yep. Those shoes fit. I, I see where she's going here. If you guys are cool with it, I want to hang in this self piece first. 
Maybe because, you know, and this is like Chris and I's own kind of think think mission is we're just massive believers that most of the work that needs to happen in our organization starts between the ears of our top line leaders, like company owners, top line leaders. Like there's just so much internal work that when the time's spent and it's done well, what the rest of our sphere experiences is pretty unbelievable, right? Mm -hmm. And so I want to hang in that pocket first if we can. So, So Trish, from your perspective, because I think I relate at least to a certain extent. I don't think I could be in your camp. I, I, I honestly still see you and Jim and some of the things that you're capable of doing. And I, I'm kind of in awe, <laughs> to be honest. But I do relate to you and some of the descriptors that you put in this email from that kind of more A-driven personality. Like There is this pursuit of iterating. Next. Better. Let's keep more discipline, right? Well, if someone says this is a, an opportunity or that somebody can perform at this level, I want to figure out then how do I how do I do that? And for me personally though, it also can be a, an immense weight and at times it can reduce the enjoyment I'm having out of the journey. Mm. So like my wife for instance is not like me. She's a creative, she's an artist. She's very good at being in the moment. Like there's real bliss at times. Of course, it's not always like this. But when she's in the moment, there's something powerful that's happening with her, whether it be in relationship or in creating or whatever the case may be. And the thing for me that I've struggled with almost my whole life is I'm always en route from A to Z. And all those points in the journey for me feel like they're in the way because I'm in pursuit of landing on Z. And my wife has always been this balance to me of, yeah, but we're at point B right now. And point B is pretty cool too. Mm. Like, like we're not stopping the journey, but let's hang here for a moment and really enjoy what we're experiencing. Do you, mm. from your perspective, that drive, that pursuit for iteration and getting better, do you ever feel yourself getting lost in the journey and not enjoying part of what you're doing while you're in route? Like, how's that infect you, I guess, personally? Oh, I love that question, yeah. Oh, that is great. Yes. It's just fuzziness, gray fuzziness right now. I don't think I'm enjoying any of it, you know, because I do have, I do have like a point I want to get at. I have a, I'll call it a crusade for a grown up business, crusade for grown up business. And so I, I want to get to that point. And so when I feel like we're there, I feel like I can slow down and enjoy a little bit. In the meantime, I mean, I'm not, I'm not joking. I'm working 80 to 90 hours a week. So it is hard to slow down and enjoy. It's just constant development and training and coaching and recruiting and over and over and over again. And I feel like we're starting to get traction there. And then I can kind of slow down and enjoy what's been created. But I think part of the hard part is... You know, this crusade for grown up business, we came from again, just Jim and myself. And then it's just been like craziness, like a rat race trying to keep up with everything. And I think a lot of restoration owners probably have this issue. You know, you are a startup by yourself and everything you're founded on is doorway conversations, Excel spreadsheets, Outlook calendars. And you can't run your business that way when you get to a certain level. And we we didn't catch on to that for way too late. So now it's like this rat race of trying to create a gr- this grown up business. How does the corporation run? We should probably be mimicking that, you know, the communication and the processes and all that kind of thing. So there's just so much to do. And I feel like 
we're building the USS Enterprise while the floodgates are opened. So it's, it's, and that's why it's hard to slow down and enjoy, I guess, but I probably should. <laughs> well, so you're, yeah, I follow you on Facebook and LinkedIn and so forth, or many other people do, but you're a mom and you and Jim are married. You have a marriage. How, like, what does it look like to manage that kind of growth in a business and still maintain some of these other life elements, you know, for you guys? Like, how can you give us a picture of what does that look like to maintain a marriage and a family as you're doing this? It's not easy. We've gotten better at it. You know, for example, Jim has been out of town for about five weeks now. So that actually is kind of a blessing. I've had to slow down and there's no one else here to help with the kids. And I see them sitting in their rooms on their phones for four hours while I'm taking meetings. And I feel guilt about that. So I I am being conscious about that and saying, guys, let's go do this together. Let's go have this dinner. You know, I might take them for pedicures maybe this afternoon, something like that. So, but it does mean a lot of nighttime hours. It does mean a lot of more early morning hours. It does mean Jim sacrificing in some spaces to give me that time to work and then vice versa. It does mean, you know, you get to your sports practice or sports game an hour early and drop the kids off to get ready for the game. And I go to the car and do work until the game starts. So it is a lot of multitasking. There really is not a lot of time for yourself. It's that's just the hard reality of it. But you're working to the point where there is that time for yourself eventually. And I, I keep, I got to keep that hope in my mind that that's going to happen. <laughs> so, you know, it's funny. I'm, I'm thinking about your guys' company, mm. just the size and scope of it. And I'm also thinking, of course, we've got a little insider trader information, but, but expansion and continued development of the organization isn't necessarily stopping either, right? So you're, iterating, putting systems in. And because you guys are respected and you're driven and you're succeeding, then people want you to do more. <laughs> right. <laughs> and and so from your perspective, and and I Trish, sometimes when we ask questions, I I never want to guess, especially you to feel judged, right, by the question. So I just want to preemptively put that out there. But are you concerned that like this, because I do this, like it's this perpetual movement of the finish line. Right. Where I'm like, okay, team, we're going to, I need to double this year. We, we've got to double in size. Here's why. Here's, you know, blah, blah, blah. The team, we all commit, we go. And then, like, we're already, we're doing that. So, like, our team on a tiny scale compared to you, we have doubled in size and we're almost ready to hit that finish line. And it's like, I don't even give myself or the team the opportunity to celebrate because I'm like, okay, well, we're, we're almost there. What's, let's move that marker out again. Okay, guys, we're, we're going to this number. And I have a lot of creatives on my team. <laughs> So they want to celebrate and route. Whereas I can just get caught in this trench of perpetually pushing the marker out. Are there is there any concern for you that like you never arrive? Like, cause the business is going to get bigger tomorrow. And then at next year it's going to get bigger again. Are you concerned that you're perpetually moving that finish line out and you'll never actually see it or experience it? Yeah, that's a great question. I guess that's something I get caught up. I'm like you. That's just what I'm used to. So I never really think about the team. Do they feel that way? I don't know. That's a great question. But I can just say from the franchise perspective, we've got 950 owners all around us. And I can tell you, we are nowhere close to the largest. You know, so I'm always looking, you got to be in a room, surround yourself with people better than you. So I'm always looking at those people that are way ahead of us 
And I'm thinking, God, every year I think this is the year we're going to make the top 10. Never. We never do. And I'm fine. You know, that's fine. We, as long as we keep growing, I'm good with that. But it's just to have, you're always having these people that are like performing at much higher levels than you to look at. So I guess I never, I never take that perspective of look where we've come from. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think like that. I don't think, oh man, we used to just be a two person company making $300,000 a year. You know, I'm always looking at, well, what are these top 10 people doing? That's incredible. We have one guy that signed a $150 million contract and I'm like, damn. <laughs> Holy yeah. yeah. So I'm looking at these guys and, and I guess that maybe erases what my goal lines are because I'm just always looking at the people that are killing it and, you know, in comparison. So do you and Jim, do you feel like you guys have a particular vision of what you're trying to create that you guys share? Or do you guys have kind of independent, like, are your whys, are your reasons that you guys are driving different? Or how, how does that look like within a marriage business partnership? Like, what's the picture? What's the, what's the vision? I mean, without sharing the, the playbook, you know, you know what I mean? But like, what's the why? Like, why we hear the drive, we hear the competition. And certainly, we can relate to that. But what is the end game as far as building a grown-up company? What does that produce for you and Jim? Like, what's the, what's the driver? I mean, I think originally the driver was just to pay our kids college tuitions, to pay for right. our house, to take great vacations, yeah. to own our cars, <laughs> you yeah. know, to have to retire at a semi-early age, you know, that that was the vision. And then I hate to say it, but we're both very competitive people and you get caught up in that. You really do. We're very competitive and I do tend to operate at that, like... Do you guys have you read Good to Great by Jim Collins? Oh yeah, sure. So he's got like level five leadership. I'm not, you know, I when I assess myself, I think I'm like level three trying to work to level four. But level five, you've got the fierce resolve combined with humility. And I definitely have that fierce resolve. Like I will not give up ever. And so <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with this, but I think that's part of it. And I got that fierce resolve. Jim, he's competitive and he's a Gemini. So he's got two different personalities. So sometimes he's like, I want to sell right now. And then sometimes he's like, let's go buy this market in this crazy location. (laughs) I think the combination of all of this has resulted in where we are today. We did have a consultant come in, like a financial consultant, kind of look at our operations and our business. And he identified 65 gaps. But the the question and the the gap that hit home was we just don't really know what our end game is. We don't know when to draw the line. So it's really something we have to figure out what that is. And I think I can't think that I'm alone in that. I think there's a lot of people that don't have like their step by step playbook of that we're going to do this, 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 and then we're out. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I relate to that. It's interesting because like in the job side, right? We talk a lot about starting with the end in mind. Yet like that just seems fairly foreign when we think about our business, right? Like, is there a way for us to mentally kind of start with the end in mind? Meaning we don't really know what that punch out date is or what it will actually execute like or look like. But just this idea of having a vision of, hey, this is where I'm working towards... And as we get closer to that, then then some sense of accomplishment or of landing or achieving. But okay, so I have a question along the same lines, and hopefully we can switch a little bit more in terms of impact on our teams. But so 
I'm making a lot of references to me on this. I just think I relate to Trish on this particular one a lot. But Chris and I have been talking a lot about like, there's an element of creating that we have to be engaged in, like just for our own personal health. And for me, this has been a conversation I've had with my wife a lot is what feels like more of a grind to her. Because again, she's in the moment, free, wants to spend more time kind of contemplating what's happening relationally, all the things. Like for me to slow down, there is an element of slowing down actually is not great for me. Like it's just not, it's, it's not good. Like I've tried to look at it a million different ways and shape it and hold it this way and that way. And that the reality is, is that in the moment of downtime, I do kind of feel some sense of release. But then there's just this thing that's plaguing me in the back of my head the whole time where I can't really enjoy this downtime all that much. And so I'm trying to figure out the balance point of what about that is natural wiring and it's totally okay for me to feed because it just makes me feel more fulfilled. And what of that is just guilt or pressure that I'm allowing other things besides my own vision for myself or my own goals for, you know, with between my wife and I to drive? All right, Head, Heart and Boots listeners. We wanted to stop here just a moment and thank our underwriting sponsor, Bloodlight Consulting Group. <laughs> as, as all of you know, right? You know, Brandon and I, this is our passion project, Head, Heart and Boots is, but it's also a way of more and more that our consulting clients find us. And in effect, they interview us, right? Those of you who've been listening to the show for a while, you get to know who we are, right? What we're about. So if Head, Heart & Boots is valuable to you, one of the best things you can do is share it with your friends. And it's been incredible to watch just the audience grow. And we still get text messages from many of you about shows that you really like and impacted you. So that's number one. And please keep doing that. Many of you have been huge advocates of the show. We also just want to remind you too, if you're a restoration company owner and you're interested in a partner in your growth, you want some help building out systems, developing your leadership teams, helping set up the infrastructure for you to scale and grow into the company that you're trying to build. That's what we do. That's what we do is we come alongside restoration company leaders. We help equip them and we help support them in that growth trajectory. So if you're looking for that, go to floodlightgrp.com. Potentially, we could be a great match for each other. Another way that we really do serve our client base and our sphere of influence is through our premier partners. We work really hard to vet those folks that we believe bring a level of value to the industry that it can really be leveraged in a way to have a sincere, positive impact on your business. We take that very seriously. The, the folks that we create those kind of ongoing partnerships, that's not a check the box kind of scenario. It's, it's we really see strategic alignment in the value that they bring. We see value in the way that their leadership teams and their partners are developed. And we've done very sincere work of ensuring that these folks that we introduce our clients and our sphere to can actually create vetted value. So go check out floodlightgrp.com forward slash premier slash partners and see if there's some folks on there that you can connect with and begin developing some other resources to support your growth and your business. What am I chasing and being overly committed to because I feel like I have to subconsciously? And what about it is me being in alignment with what makes me healthy? And at some point, I work differently than other people. And it's okay. Like It just is healthy for me. (laughs) I don't even know if there's a question in there. Can you relate to that at all as part of what we're talking about? Definitely. You know, we, we, we take a vacation at least once a year and 
I mean, I think everybody can relate to this. Right before you take vacation, it's crazy town. Trying to get ready for it and trying to think of all the things that might be dropped while you're gone. And then you get there and you're like, oh, this is great. But it takes you two days probably to just disconnect. And then you're cool for like three days. Then you're like, this is great. And then you start getting anxiety again, going knowing what you're going back to. Oh, yeah. And then... I mentioned this in my email, but I think this is really what brings me a lot of anxiety is to step back a little bit, you know, back in 2009, we did start that bit, our business together. And I got pregnant with our second child and I stayed home for eight years then I had another child. So I was home from 2010 until about 2017, 2018. So that's a big chunk of time where Jim was running the business all alone. So, and he did a great job. I and mean, he brought it from when I left, I think we were at $500,000. He brought it to maybe an $8 million business. So that's a huge amount of growth, huge amount of people that were brought on. But there's also a lot that just, you know, wasn't handled because how can you do it all? So since the moment I came back in 2018-ish, there's just been a lot of projects, a lot of messes to clean up, a lot of things to organize. And I would say I've kind of been the fall girl in that <laughs> respect, you know? Anything that wasn't handled comes to me to fix, to un- untangle, unwind, put back in order, put some documentation behind it, train everyone, and then hope to God that it's taken and kept accountable for. So that last piece, though, is the piece that's that's the hard one, is having our leadership understand it and keep the team accountable for it. And so that anxiety on vacations is what's been dropped and what am I going to have to fix when I get back? So that's really the driver for me of that anxiety. <laughs> so yeah, yeah I think that makes sense. Oh, it totally does. Yeah. yeah. How, how are you? I mean, it sounds like this is a work in progress, right? Mm-hmm. How are you currently approaching that accountability piece? I mean... I think every owner that's listening right now or GM or senior leader can relate to that anxiety, that tension of, is my team going to execute if I'm not there? How do you, not, not you guys, how do you manage that accountability and execution piece? Do you have a certain cadence? Do you have a way you think about it? Is there a way that you do your one-on-ones? Like, How do you manage accountability in your part of the business? Well, that is the very, your part of the business. That is a very... Apropos statement. So I think that's the hard part is the world that I oversee and the people I oversee. It's not fine. There's a lot to work on for sure, but there's a level of control there and a level of oversight, but I'm not overseeing the whole business. There are pieces that report to others and it's that's the hard part to help. Merge those and everybody in the entire company works together. We're all integrated we're all, like heavily. So that, I mean, it's going to, I don't hope this doesn't get too raw on everybody, but that's, it's hard. It's really, really difficult because I, I mean, yesterday I'm talking to Jim. I'm like, what can I do differently? What am I not doing that's not sinking in? That's not resonating with people that they're not picking it up and learning it and coaching to it. I've made these flowcharts. Feedback is, I don't understand a flowchart. Okay, I understand that. You need a, you, the flowchart is basically the blueprint for a house, right? You need that. You need the blueprint. All right, you don't understand the flowchart. Let me put this into verbal documentation and, and give it to you. Let me put this in. Um, let me record myself on Teams, make a video about it, share my screen, walk through it. Let me do that. Let's have one on one trainings. Let's do group trainings, you know, try it all. And at the end of the day, 
still not being understood, embraced, and kept accountable to. And I think part of the missing piece is, you know, leadership has to dig in, understand it, do it themselves, and then understand the tools that are out there to keep their team accountable to it. So that's the missing piece. And I do have a lot of other uh, pro franchises asking me for my flowcharts, asking me for my resources. And part of me is like, man, I spent so much time. I missed so many tournaments. I missed so much family time, so many you know, runs I could have gone on <laughs> to make this stuff. Mm. And part of me is like, oh, I don't want to just give it up the keys for free. But then at the same time, like, okay, I can give you the keys, but it's not like driving a car. It's like driving a semi tractor trailer. You know, you got to learn how to operate that J brake and everything. That's not easy. So I can give them the keys, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to have success in that accountability piece either. So, well, because I hear you very humbly saying, I created all these flow charts and I, and it's, it's hard for me to translate this over to my team or to get my team to adopt. Totally. <laughs> and, and, I, and, I, and listen, when you say that, I feel so much kinship in that in that space because, of course, that's a lot of what we do. The way we're trying to help restoration companies is introducing processes and and always. I mean, Brandon and I wrestle with this too. Is what is the best way to equip people around these processes and procedures? Like, what's the best way to teach and help them understand? Like, help them really get it and assimilate it into their you know, day-to-day, week-to-week process. And it's hard. It's hard. It's like sometimes people pick it up really quickly and they just get it. And you're like, wow, God, okay. If I expected that to be a little more difficult. And then other times where you think it's going to be somewhat routine or or kind of almost kindergarten, it's incredibly hard to get people to kind of coalesce around this new thing. Has there been some pockets of success that have given you kind of a clue as to how to do it better or... Is it still just kind of a big cloud of God? What what am I doing wrong? Is there have you found some little pockets of success in rolling out process and flows and stuff that have worked, or is there any insights yet that you're starting to make in terms of how to do that and how to transfer that down through your team? I think when and this is not an answer. This is a horrible answer, actually. Um, I found when I do the one-on-one training with somebody, it's effective. It works. They're like, oh. I didn't know that. I think it's because I go, I go above and beyond to try to explain why. And if you don't do this, what's that going to affect? And maybe that's really where our leadership is not understanding. Like there is a reason to hit that timestamp, a very important reason. You know, if you don't hit that, this resulting scorecard is going to be worth nothing. And then ultimately, if we're holding employees accountable and their performance reviews are based on a scorecard, that's not going to be fair to them. They're not going to get a bonus because you didn't hit the timestamp, right? There's, there's a, there is a resulting action for everything. So I found like our uh, construction administrative team, I had a manager in place there and then that did not work out. So now all six of those folks are now reporting to me and I'm very quickly realizing what they know and how much they do not know. And so each team meeting we have, we're taking a portion of a flow chart and just walking through it. And I have been recording everything so that I can use that (laughs) to train more folks. So, I mean, I think just getting that level of understanding from the leadership team of this is not something Trish is saying just to do, to do. There is validity behind it and there's reason behind it. And it's going to elevate this company to the next level. 
that's hard. And we're getting better. I think we are bringing on more and more leaders and getting more buy-in. And it's like I said back in the beginning of this, you know, we're gaining traction slowly. It's just hard in the moment. I put a post on LinkedIn while we were on vacation. I listened to a podcast that was just a reading of a poem, If by Rudyard Kipling. Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh. I was like bated breath listening to it. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. If what? If what? <laughs> I'm like, if I do all this, and then the end was like, you'll be a man, my son. I'm like, oh, I, I want to be like something else. <laughs> <laughs> like that didn't land quite where I was. I don't identify with that, but so be it. <laughs> That's awesome. But it was, I really liked, so I, I like cut out the two paragraphs I really like that really spoke to me about that. And I'm like, okay. And back to what you were saying before, you know, this is very lonely. This is extremely lonely. There's, not a lot of people to talk to about this. I was on a, a call last week with a friend of mine from New Jersey, a surf owner. He's like, who do you talk to? I don't know. I don't have anybody. I talk to people, but I can't really talk to them about the inner workings of my head. I don't have anyone to say, you know, hold tight. Just keep going. You're going to get this. It's going to be okay. You know, somebody that's been there, been through transformation management and knows the other side and knows how to guide and lead and me and, and tell me, you know, that's not going to work or you should try this. You know, there's just not a lot of people out there that try to do something so massive that affects so many people. Yeah, I think that's fair. How do you, I mean, can you walk us into how do, how do you maintain your mental health in the absence of, you know, that circle around you that really understands you and get in your head? Like, what do you have like a process, a way of, I hear exercise was part of it. I hear, heard one <laughs> earlier and, and you're a fit person. But beyond that, like how do you, how do you manage your mental health? I mean, this is a massive lift you've been doing over time, an extended period of time. Yeah. What does that look like for somebody in your position and with some of the struggles and some of just the, the own personal challenges that you've talked about? How do, you, how do you make sense of all this and keep going and progressing without becoming... Go crazy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, exercise is a huge part of it. My kids are a big part of it too. My son said to me the other night, he's like, mom, you know, I think by the time I graduate high school, I'm going to know more about business than any other adult just because listening to you guys talk. <laughs> so, And they're around, right? Like you guys consistently have them around the business. We saw the boys the, the couple times, you know, we've been around. So yeah, they've always been around. Yeah. yeah. yeah when we were <laughs> They're there for everything. I mean, they've been on jobs from the time they were two years old. They've been there for everything. And they really are. I say it to them sometimes, but it's kind of true. They're really my best friends. You know, they they see the true silly me when I'm silly. And and I do probably tell them more than I should, but they listen and they ask questions. <laughs> so it really, I mean, they are. But also, I mean, this is actually the reason I came to you guys. I lean on podcasts and books and Roger Kipling and things like prose because those are people that have been there. They've done that, you know? So yeah, I'm like, oh, this is a topic I'd love to learn more about. I put high standards, perfectionism, all that into Google and with leadership and it was all negative stuff. And I'm like, that can't be real. There, you can't get to high places by not having high standards. So that's why I thought, well, maybe Chris and Brandon have some thoughts on this. <laughs> Pressure, right? What a what um, (laughs) that is so interesting that you punch those phrases in, and the majority of what you receive back is is negative. Okay, so hang with me, guys. I've I've this kind of shifted in my head a little bit. So 
Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna tie some loose things here together that we've kind of been going over. And All right, here we go. Buckle up here. <laughs> so, okay, so for those of you listening, because I'm not sure if the context of this has been crystal clear. So, so Trish, Trish, just her and her husband kicking ass, taking names. Clearly, what you've heard so far in a bunch of humility is they don't think they're perfect, which is awesome. <laughs> but what we've kind of started with was this idea that you you have a real significant level of we'll call it self-accountability, but also kind of almost self-judgment, right? Like of keep going, keep iterating, keep progressing. That's been at play in the business. Knowing that you're wired that way, you do a little bit of research, right? Into these terms, these phrases that maybe to a certain extent have been part of your identity. Is that, is that fair? Yep. And what we get back is, is fairly negative. Like for me as an eight, so I'm eight on the Enneagram. I don't know if anybody knows what the hell the Enneagram is, but it's it's kind of like a real extensive version of this self strength finder yeah. or disc or like who are you, yeah, yeah. right? What's the color? And eights are drivers and challengers, and they also get nicknamed assholes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now I'm an and I'm an eight. I think part of the challenge that we have in our businesses and in our relationships is there's people wired like us. And and again, I'm not alluding to the fact that Chris isn't like this or or yeah. any of that. Oh but. yeah, what are you trying to say? <laughs> so so sure. when you're wired this way, it does and can feel negative, right? So here's an example. Last night, and this has been a consistent thing that sometimes pops up since Jana and I are working more cohesively together in this business, right? My wife. My wife, again, the challenger piece doesn't motivate her. Like me coming at her and saying, you know what you got to do and this and that and try this and put this in line and blah, blah, blah. Like it just crushes her spirit. She can't... She just... That kind of feedback is not what motivates her. Yet I fall into a category where when you tell me where I'm jacked up, there's a strong chance now that I know I need to work on that. I'm going to be fairly motivated through working through that thing. Right? I like that challenger contact, whatever you want to call it. I would say the majority of our personnel don't. Like, I don't think that aggressive challenging works for most personalities. And, and I could be off. That's not concrete. It's just my opinion. So Trish, what I wrestle with in our business is how do I ensure that the level of relationship that I've built with my key leaders, right? Let's just start there because I can't talk to every single person on my team. What can I do in development of the relationship with my key leaders so that I have the credibility and the credit in the account to withdraw on when I have to challenge them? Like negotiating is not one of the variables I can pull. We're not negotiating. This is the standard. If we don't all perform to this level, we will never experience what we need to experience in this business because someone will constantly be carrying something for someone else, right? Mm -hmm. So I think this whole conversation that we're talking about is folks like you and I, we have to lead that way. Like there's something special about a leader that can bring accountability and drive focus on, on a certain level of expectation. Yet we get frustrated because our teams don't necessarily buy in the same way we do. What can we do relationally with those folks? to create the respect and the bandwidth to be able to challenge them at the level that we have to in order for us to build the kind of organization that meets the standard that you have in your mind. Ready, go. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <Brandon>. <laughs> no, right? Like, 
Yeah, where does that relationship component come up for you? Like, how do yeah. you think about that? You have such a large team. Yeah, I think it's just a matter. I mean, you all talk about the cadence of meetings and one-on-ones and team meetings. And, you know, like I said, the folks that kind of lay in my world, you know, not everybody buys in, not everybody's on board, but for the most part, they see the vision, they see the why. And I think it's a matter of those constant touch bases. And I do listen. And I I think that's part of it too. I have a high standard. I want to get here, but I want to do it collaboratively. If this idea I put out there and this process that I've written, if that's not going to work, I want to hear why. And I want to like massage it to figure out how it can work and how it can fit both of our needs. So I think that's part of it is you got to have a high standard, but you have to do it in a way that's reasonable and that's going to support everybody that they need, the way they need to be supported. We all want to be successful. We all don't want to be working 80 hours a week. We all want to kick butt and we don't want these fires popping up and we don't want to lose customers and we don't want to miss invoicing. We want, we all want the same thing, but it's got to be in a way that fits all of us the way that we need it to be fit. So I think having that just level of empathy for everybody and making sure that they know if they come to you saying this might not work, that you're okay hearing that and you're okay working with them to make it work. And that's sometimes, I think that's the heart. That's probably one of the challenges. I think this is a therapy session for me, guys. Um, I think that's maybe some of this. <laughs> some of the problem is like I was rewatching a meeting I had laying out our, our morning whip meeting needed some serious revisions. It just wasn't really effective and didn't fit the purpose that it should have. So I spent a lot of time collaboratively with multiple people figuring out how this would work, laid it out, didn't happen. Coached for it again, didn't happen. Changed some things, coached it again, taped that, recorded it. And I looked back at it and I'm like, I'm, I'm asking for feedback. I'm asking if there's concerns. You know, I'm doing all the things trying to get people to give me stuff. And it's just like shaking heads. And I'm like watching, I'm like, they're not comfortable telling me. They all hate this, but they're not going to tell me they hate it. So, and that's hard. And that's, that's more the team that isn't really under my wing. And so maybe there's just not that comfortableness coming to me saying, we hate this. This is not going to work. But I need to hear that. I can't fix something if I don't know that it's not going to work. So, And I need to know, is it not going to work because you don't like change? Or is it not going to work for a functional reason? Because that's two very different things. We need to at least try it and make that leap to change and then determine that it's functionally not going to work, but we can't just sit there not using it. We got to at least try. So. So can you take a step further and how are you, how are you currently planning to resolve that? (laughs) Well, um, my dear husband's gotten more involved. So that's helped tremendously. His voice is heard for sure. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he he sent an email out, and all of a sudden, look what happens. So, yeah, okay. all right, <laughs> that's yeah, that's an interesting dynamic, and, and it's not abnormal, right? In the sense that maybe this isn't crystal clear, but you predominantly lead and cast strategy and vision over the administrative processes of the organization. Is that fair? And yes, and Jim's yeah. a little bit more oriented towards the actual service delivery, the field, field facing side of the operation, right? Yes, yeah. 
So the, the reason I just create that context is because this is an example that what's happening in our own businesses at a small scale, right? Because you guys are substantially good-sized operation. For the rest of us, though, it's the siloing. And, and we have some version of it. Sales don't speak with operations. Operation thinks sales just out glad-handing all the time and they have no connection to what we do. And admin is our support personnel, in quotes, where we as the field staff go out and do the real job. And then there's all these support staff that think about the administrative garbage that we have to be responsible for. I'm using all tongue-in-cheek reference here, just in case people aren't picking up on that. The silos, though, and and I think relationally, this is one of those hot spots in our businesses that that we as a team will often underestimate the importance of getting a grip on it. And what I mean is, is that it's very easy for us to create a relationship with our people. And I think some of the, and by the way, I'm not saying that Jim is doing any of this. So I just want to be. Clear. I think sometimes what we do as a leader, I know I'm susceptible to this because I want to be seen as the savior, the challenger, the good guy. When they said, follow me, that the team won, right? Now, there's that being lived out in action, meaning I'm consistent and I hold my team accountable and I set a standard and they hit it and we win. There's also the shortfall of this, which is the I say things in certain ways, I posture in certain ways, and I interact with you in a certain way that makes you like me and trust me, but it doesn't necessarily give us the performance we need at a legacy level. Mm -hmm. And so what I see is leaders are very good at building a friendship or relationship with their staff. So they will do what they say, but they inadvertently create a lack of trust or commitment to a voice that comes from a parallel department, division, or leader. And I think one of the things that we have to do as a company is we have to establish clarity around a unified leadership front. Meaning that... And again, guys, I want to clarify, I'm not saying that Jim or Trish or anybody on Team Wall is doing this. But what we see often is we aren't unified as a leadership team. We might be on the surface in terms of, okay, we need this thing. We need this level of accountability or this process. Everybody agrees. Okay, cool. High five. Go out and do your job. But that's different than an integration of relationship where I'm, I have Chris's back. So as a leader in the company, what Chris is going to do with his team, I have to play a role in supporting and being a partner in helping his team succeed in that. Just as much as I need Chris then to support me and my role with my division and hold me accountable to doing what is necessary for my team for them to win as well. And one of the things... And by the way, we totally jacked this up more times than we got it right, just so there's clarity there. But man, I'll tell you what, when a leadership team has true unity and buy-in, meaning they care as much about the success of their peers team as they do about their own, you begin to see that those barriers come down. Now, obviously, if we have 50 people, it's a whole hell of a lot easier than, than organizations your size. Do you feel any connection to that? Like, do you see kind of some of that coming into play as you guys have continued to iterate and get your arms around the is the business? Is that relationship between the leadership has it played a role in that, or am I kind of coming from left field there? No, I think that's true. I think we all really genuinely like each other and and want to be there for each other and support each other. It's 
it's just, I think it's, you got it on the head of the nail there is, you know, a 50 person company versus 160, one location versus four locations. It just magnifies everything. You know, if you think about like pantyhose, I haven't worn those in sixth grade, but like if there's like a small tear and a pantyhose, you don't notice it. But when you stretch it, boy, do you notice that crack? So, you know, it's, I think that's, that's the challenge there. You you grow to this large size, multiple markets. You've got a whole layer of middle management now at play. And then you have your executive. So your executive management might be all be on the same page. Getting that middle management layer there is a, a whole other challenge in itself. And then your bottom line boots on the ground folks have to understand it as well. And there's more churn there. There's a lot of new faces coming in. And are they getting trained up the way they should? Are they hearing the vision of the way they should? So it's, there's a lot, it's very dynamic. I think executive wise, we could all be on this, you know, have the same vision, but it's got to be cast down the same way to all folks. So love that. Okay. So I want to, I want to shift gears just slightly and I want to talk about one-on-ones. It's come up many times, like when we were on site with you and just talking about the business and walking around, like you've referenced the one-on-ones you do with your team a number of times. It seems like it's a real part of your operating system kind of as a leader. Could you talk about that? And how has your approach to one-on-ones changed? And then maybe just reflect on what your one-on-ones look like now. Oh, yes. That's good. That's good. I've actually always done them from the time I came back from being home with kids. Mm. I started right away with them. And I think I was the only one in the company doing that for a good four or five years. So... But I was not good at them in the beginning. It would be a lot of just me hearing about people's personal problems. And I'm so nice that I can't stop them from talking about it. So it might be an hour long one-on-one and 45 minutes is talking about their husband problems. So (laughs) So that has changed. I don't do that anymore. (laughs) How do you avoid that? Is that an intentional thing to... Yeah. I learned from Jim on that one. He's very good at nipping that in the bud. So he's always like, you got to stop that. You just got you just to change the direction of the conversation. So I've learned to politely change the direction of the conversation. But I think also the people I have have come to a, a, maybe a higher caliber where that is just, they know that that's not appropriate to do. So, but I definitely, you know, when I have my game on and I have the time to commit, I always have an agenda before. After each one-on-one, I always do a follow-up of what our our discussion points are, what our action points are. So I use that for the starting point for the next one-on-one that we have. So every two weeks we do them. It's really a lot of it is maybe sometimes project-based. It depends on the position, you know, of the one-on-one. If it's maybe a construction admin, it's going to be very, very mechanical and project-based and that kind of thing. If it's somebody that's maybe a leadership position, we're talking about the people they lead, maybe some roadblocks are coming, solutions, things in the process that aren't working. We brainstorm a little bit on solutions to that. And then think about interdepartmental roadblocks that we have. How can we navigate around that? So so higher level conversations to some degree. And then I always... I did listen to a podcast a couple of months ago that I really liked. And they said the last... I'm going to butcher it, but there should be three questions at the end that you ask. One should be, is there anything... What's weighing heaviest on your mind? Because that's really going to bring out some good stuff for you about what is really in the back of their head that they're not bringing up. If you catapult them to bring it up, that's great. What can I do to support you? There's another one. I I need to listen to the podcast again. But (laughs) 
But I always try to, what can I do to support you? What's weighing heaviest on your mind is two things that I always try to ask. So, Yeah, that's awesome. So currently, 160 employees, you're the chief administrative officer for the company. Who do you prioritize having one-on-ones with? I do it with all of my direct reports. I did, just like I said, inherit the entire construction admin team. Oh, that's right. So that's a temporary thing right now that you're... So I had to draw the line. I cannot... I just physically can't do one-on-ones with all of them. So we are doing team meetings. And when you break it apart, they're smaller teams. And it's been great. And they already kind of have their own bond. So it's been actually really refreshing to take those teams on. I've really enjoyed it. So... But everybody that reports directly to me has a one-on-one with me every two weeks. And then the weeks in between, we do a team meeting for that business division. And then my direct report should be doing the same, having one-on-ones with their their folks. Okay. We got to be cognizant of time. A landing this plane. I, gotta, I think I have a landing plane question. Okay. Two questions because I don't want to end on a negative. So two questions, Trish. <laughs> negative and positive. <laughs> what do you see... For yourself, personally, as a leader, as a company owner, mm-hmm. what's the biggest gap or thing that you feel like you're going to have to begin investing some time and energy in to compensate for or work through it? What's that? And Yeah, what's your growing edge? Yeah. yeah, the growing edge. And then the last one is what this year has stood out to you, again, personally, that you've worked on and worked through that you feel like has had a significantly positive impact on your journey? Those are the two questions. Okay. All right. So the first one, I've built out an org chart. It's always changing. And I have built in some upper level management positions that I was afraid that we might not be able to support yet. Or maybe I could do it. I don't need somebody yet. I know I need someone eventually, but not yet. But I just had an offer letter accepted um, on Tuesday for a director of administration who will own all of the administrative teams report to me. So I'll just have three or four direct reports now for sales, marketing, administration. And then I've got a little data analyst guy that's amazing. So So that's exciting. That gives me... I'm going to pour my energy into developing her the right way, teaching her the right way. And uh, I think... I'm really excited about that. I think that's going to be awesome. Yeah, it's going to be a great asset. I think she's going to get a lot of respect from the entire team. I think it's really going to be good stuff. So that's exciting. Yeah. And the second question, personal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like, yeah, like that thing that you feel like for you is it's a leading edge. Like I'm, I got to do some work here. I'm not necessarily going to do it tomorrow, but this is a thing on my mind that I'm going to have to engage in. Oof, that's a good one. I mean, I hate to be boring and just go back to exercise, but man, I've been really doing some good stuff with my running lately. And I'm really excited about that. I think it's, <laughs> yeah, I mean, just pouring more time into myself, realizing I got to spend more time on me is important. That's something I've always, that's been a big part of my life since I was 12 years old is that is running and I just love it. It's just, it's my identity. So I've had to give that up a lot over the last few years. So getting a piece of that back and getting to see myself, get my speed back has been super, super cool for me. I like that. You like to compete? (laughs) Are you planning to compete like marathons, halves? No, I just, you know, I just, we do like these challenges every once in a while in Orange Theory and just to see myself get faster and faster and get closer to those high school times is kind of cool. So, (laughs) 
I mean, that's a that's a dorky Trish thing, but that makes me excited. <laughs> oh, I love cool. it. Yeah. Hey, so for those of you that don't know Trish Wall and Team Wall, get on LinkedIn and and look her up and connect with her. One of the things that we appreciate about Trish is she's busy running a business. She is not trying to be some kind of influencer by any stretch of the imagination. But she's humble and willing to be transparent with her real life struggles building a mega company. And I think all of us can learn and benefit from having more people that we see be transparent with what leadership actually feels like when you're doing it for real. Not the bullshit that we post that makes us sound awesome. Because leadership is painful. It is... And I think those that, that listen to the Mark Spencer episode not too long ago, they get a glimpse for it too. Mark Springer. <laughs> Mark Springer. I'm going to talk to Mark Spencer after this. Uh, Mark Springer. The humility and leadership piece. like It is hard. Yeah. It is. It's so easy for us to take on titles. It's so easy for us to call ourselves entrepreneurs or business owners. But the leadership that's required from us when we put that mantle on, we often do not connect well with. And then we don't we underestimate the challenge in front of us, um, the weight that leadership carries. And so anyways, we respect the hell out of you, Trish. We respect Jim and your team that you're building. We know you're not perfect. We know there's plenty of issues that you're going to work on in your business. And, and all of us get the opportunity to learn and succeed alongside of each other. So thanks again for hanging out with us. We will likely get you back on here. I don't know when, but we'll certainly try to get you back in front of the audience at some point in the near oh, 100%, future. 100%. Yeah. And I just have to throw this in because people that are maybe hearing Trish for the first time, hearing about Team Wall, they're not in the whole surf pro system. You have to like, I want to reiterate what Brandon said, go to the Team Wall, surf pro Team Wall LinkedIn page, follow that. The surf pro kids media <laughs> that you guys are doing with Brandon. So they have a director of marketing and content like Brandon is, first of all, he's just a really cool guy musician, creative artist, all this kind of stuff. And the the video content that you guys are putting out, Trish, is so fun. And and I think really leading the way, setting some example of it. It's a big question in restoration is like, how do you play the whole content game? Yeah. You know, it's like like all video and clever posts. How do you do social media? It's a big question mark for a lot of companies. And I've always been a firm believer of of use social media to sort of share the personality the human view of your business. And I think Brandon has done such a good job of doing that. Yeah, it's awesome. It's And it's very fun. And your kids are in it. Yeah. It's just hilarious. I get so much fun and enjoyment out of watching that. So you got to go check that out if you're... Uh, There's some uh, fun projects coming up with Surfer Kids. So keep watching. All right. Oh, <laughs> sweet. I love it. Expect We're it. probably going to have to get the group on the, on the podcast since they are the budding stars of I know we got to get Brandon on here that'd be a fun we got to get some real influencers on here Trish and Jim own the place but the kids clearly are taking over yeah. so <laughs> all right hey Trish thanks again we appreciate you respect yeah. you thank you for giving us your time yeah likewise it was fun guys i appreciate all your therapy therapy yeah, was yeah right <laughs> all right gang thanks for joining us we'll see you next time all right everybody hey thanks for joining us for another episode of head heart and boots and if you're enjoying the show, but you love this episode, please hit follow, formerly known as subscribe, write us a review, or share this episode with a friend. Share it on LinkedIn, share it via text, whatever. It all helps. Thanks for listening.